You're listening to sermons from Church on Bayshore in Niceville, Florida. Our mission is to do whatever it takes to see people believe in Jesus, belong to God's family, and become who God created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. To learn more about our church and to find additional resources, including ways to connect, serve, and give, visit churchonbayshore.org. And keep back on those boxes. All right, well, you have two more weeks to get your boxes in if you want to send them out from uh, Church on Bayshore, so don't forget about that. Uh, If you're visiting with us today, let me just say that we're so glad you're here. Maybe you're watching online for the first time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We'd love to know who you are. Uh, You can text the word CONNECT to the number that is going to be on the screen, and one of our team members will follow up with you this week. If you are with us on campus, uh, you can stop by one of the welcome areas on your way out, and the team will be there to greet you and help you learn how you can get plugged into the life of our church. Let me also encourage everyone, especially our members, to join us next Sunday evening uh, for our town hall meeting. Uh, Next week's town hall meeting, we will observe the Lord's Supper, take communion together, and we'll hear some updates about ministry, and then we have the opportunity to vote on our 2024 budget, uh, which includes a historic uh, increase uh, to our budget. Uh, Speaking of budgets, man, I am excited to share with you that last Sunday, Uh, We met our budget for 2023. Uh, So yeah, praise God. So uh, don't stop giving. Uh, because if you've been with us the last several years, because of the generosity uh, of our church family, we have said, hey, we're going to uh, take everything that uh, comes above and beyond and uh, dedicate it to specific things. And so one of those uh, things is half of what comes in from now until the end of the year uh, will go towards our debt retirement. Um, And uh, if you're not aware about Six years ago, uh, the completion of the renovation of this facility was done, uh, actually on my first day as the pastor, so uh, that was pretty awesome. Anyway, so uh, it cost $7 million. We took out a loan for $3.5 million, and in just under six years, that debt is now only $594,000. So let's just do the math. That's right. Praise God. So we still got two more payments to make this year that are already paid for because you've already gave to them. People give extra. And then last year in November and December, by the way, it's October still, uh, we had over $700,000 given. So if you're beginning to do the math, we are getting close to paying that thing off early uh, next year. So I mean, if we saw, and based on giving, if we saw a million dollars given from now until the end of the year, we pretty much could pay that debt off in January, which is just incredible. In addition to that, 25% is going to uh, ministry projects and uh, projects around here that we wouldn't fund otherwise, praise God for that, and 25% will go towards missions. Last year, we gave $125,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, the biggest gift in the history of our church, and I think we can match or surpass that uh, with the giving that'll happen this year and so uh, and do some other things for missions. So praise God for that opportunity. Let me also remind you that next week is our Disciple Now student ministry event. And so they'll be here on campus taking over pretty much all weekend. And on Sunday morning will be the conclusion of that. So we're happy to have uh, them leading us next Sunday morning. But today we wrap up chapter five of Ephesians. So you can open your Bible there and our three weeks of talking about marriage. We are in a series called Clarity, where we are looking at relationships that Paul was inspired to address in chapters 5 and 6 of Ephesians. Things are certainly unclear when it comes to a lot of relationships in 2023. 
And there are certainly unclear things when it comes to the definition and purpose of marriage. And many men seem unclear on what it means to be a husband. So we've talked about the purpose of marriage and we addressed wives from this passage. And today we will focus in on the husbands. We will define the call on husbands. And then I want to give four important words for husbands to remember. Ladies, none of this today or this, none of that. All right, so let's start by reading our text, and I'm reading because I want you to know that um, while I might get passionate to you about this because it's something that uh, is passionate to me, um, I, I would just say I, I want to sit down with you if I could and just talk to you about what God wants to do in your life. So let's look to his word, Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 25 through 30. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you so much that you love us enough um, to create us. You love us enough to give us your word. And I just pray that we would not um, take that for granted this morning and we would receive it. Um, God, my heart uh, goes out this morning to women who are here without their husbands, uh, whose husbands won't come, whose husbands won't listen, and who they long uh, for to embody these things. And I just pray that you give them uh, a special uh, manifestation of your grace uh, to love their husbands well and point them to Jesus. And we pray for those men, God, that you would wake them up and you would help them see who you are. God, I thank you for the men that are here. Uh, some maybe begrudgingly, and I pray, God, that you would just uh, melt their heart. And God, for the men who desire to be who you've called them to be, may your word encourage them, strengthen them, convict them. And God, ultimately, I pray that uh, this would not be about me or what I have to say, but it would be about what a holy God says in his word, and you would use it for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, in verse 25, he uses the Greek word, Greek word agapeo, which is the unconditional sacrificial love that is often used to describe God's love, specifically his love demonstrated in Christ. So I, I think we need to start this morning by establishing that the way Christ loves the church is the example for husbands. The way Christ loves the church is the example for husbands. So we can't take our cues from culture. And we can't stop with the examples of others. We are to look to Christ for guidance and direction. Paul goes on to clarify this even more. He says, and gave himself. Gave means to put yourself something in the hands of or to deliver something up. And what Paul is saying was put in the hands of and delivered up was himself, was Christ. I have a high schooler, middle schooler, elementary age children, and preschool age child in my house. They are involved in athletics, music, and leadership. And we have friends and activities. There is always a fundraiser, always. 
And I am amazed that sometimes in these fundraisers, they're doing these silent auctions and the things that people give for the cause because they believe in the cause. Well, what this text is telling us is that for this cause, what Christ gave was himself. And Paul says what that cause is. He says, and gave himself up for her. The preposition here indicates what Christ gave his life over for. The church. Christ purposefully gave himself up, delivered himself up for the church. So Paul says, think about this as a husband who loves his wife and gives himself up. It is for her. You are not called to do this out of a motivation for how it might make you feel about yourself. The motivation is not to give yourself up for what others might think of you or say about you. You are not giving yourself up for what you might be rewarded with. Paul is saying, she is why you give yourself up. It is for her. Like Christ's love for the church motivated him to do this, your love for her should motivate you to do this. Husbands, Christ wants us to love her in this way, that she is the reason that we would give ourselves up. He continues to clarify that he might sanctify her. Now, sanctification is the setting apart. In the Old Testament, you might sanctify an animal for a sacrifice. You might sac sanctify certain instruments that would be used as a part of the sacrifice. They were consecrated. They were dedicated for God's glory. And Paul says this is why Christ gave himself up for the church. For her means that she would become set apart for God, that he might sanctify her, that the church might now be used for God's glory. There has been a common idea that the love of Christ is about sinners being saved, disconnected from sinners being changed. This is not what the Bible shows us. It shows us a woman caught in adultery that Jesus loves and is willing to save and who he then says, go and sin no more to. God loves us enough to accept us the way we are and to not allow us to stay that way. God loves us enough to accept us the way we are and to not allow us to stay that way. Christ wants the church to be who God designed her to be. Christ wants us to become like him. He wants us to become set apart. And so pay attention to what Paul says. He says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, reading baptism into this text is really not doing much work, honestly, and it's reading through the wrong lens. And there have been some that said he could be talking about ceremonial cleanness here, but I, but I think if you read what's around this and you know the culture, um, you kind of get what he's saying. So it's important to understand about the concept of the bridal bath 
that was common in Jewish culture in which before she would be married to her betrothed, a woman would take this bath to get ready to be presented uh, to her husband. And the bride would typically do that with things that were provided for her by her betrothed. You can check out Ezekiel chapter 16 where God uses this imagery to refer to how he treated Israel when addressing their unfaithfulness to him. And so Paul is saying that Jesus gave himself for the church that he might sanctify her, that she might be cleansed. Now, notice he cleansed her through the word. And so we need to understand this as we're thinking about the idea of God sanctifying the church. What God uses to sanctify the church is his word. That's how we're saved and that's how we're sanctified. And so the word of God needs to be central to the ministry of God's people and the church. Going through the Bible really being committed to Bible study and not simply just, hey, what does the Bible say about this issue or what do we feel about this issue? It's not a matter of style or preference. It's a matter of holiness. It's a matter of importance. And so I believe what Paul's doing here in this text is he's using this bridal bath imagery and that's why he says in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He's, he's giving us this idea, this imagery of this bride-to-be, excuse me, this bride presented to her husband in splendor on their marriage night. And that Christ is giving himself so that his bride would be set apart like that. And Paul's saying all this for husbands to understand our call in marriage. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Jesus loves the church and calls it his body. They are connected now for all of eternity because of his love for the church. And in the same way that Christ loves the church, we should love our wives. The word should is actually a word indicating a debt or an obligation. And so if you think of Ephesians 5.21, which sets up Ephesians 5.22 through 33, and it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, then you understand because Christ is the authority, we now have this obligation to love our wives. Now, don't call her your obligation. That's not the best idea. But if we love Jesus, then we understand this is what I owe Jesus. This is something that is my responsibility, to love my wife as my own body. And as we have looked at the last two weeks, that is how God views a husband and a wife, one. To verse 31 here in Ephesians 5, Paul writes, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is Paul referencing Genesis chapter two where we are told about the creation of Adam and Eve and the roles of men and women and Jesus references and affirms this as well. So you see why I said two weeks ago and reiterated last week, we will never think rightly about marriage until we are convinced of the divine origin of scripture. Paul is not teaching from some cultural context here. He is grounding what he says in creation, in God's design for women and men in marriage. And this is incredibly important for us to understand and remind ourselves of and respond to and point others to. I have continually said that a Christian 
marriage or a Christ-centered marriage involves two people who allow their eternal relationship to guide their earthly relationship. If we want our marriage to be centered around Christ, it takes two people who allow their eternal relationship to guide their earthly relationships. And so that's why our marriage is being lived the way it is because we both are living for the one who has created us and the one who is eternal. And so men, we are to look to the Bible then. We are to look to God then and intentionally look at it. I've referenced this quote the last two weeks. I'm gonna say it again from the book, The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. He says, in the Bible, you have teaching that has been tested by millions of people over centuries of time and in multiple cultures. Do we have any other resource on marriage like that? If you don't know by now, no, we do not have any other resource on marriage like that. There are so many resources on marriage that are available to us, but none like the scriptures. Not just because I say that, because that's what I'm supposed to do as a pastor, because of historical evidence, because of how it spanned demographics and it spanned cultures, and it stood the test of time. And the Bible points to this idea of marriage being one flesh. So now as a husband, we have two bodies to love, hers and ours. And they aren't separate, they're one. And God wants us to live thinking this way. Look at verse 29 and 30. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, we may not know the best way to love our bodies, but we love them, often confused about what is really good for them. We are aiming to please them and sustain them. Now, you might say, well, what about those who hate themselves and have no self-worth? Well, we will be charitable as possible here and just say Paul is talking about mentally healthy men. And he's saying, you're taking care of yourself and you're seeking to please yourself. And it was hard in their culture to be that overindulgent. And he says, so you, as a husband, are to think about your wife in the same way. And the example for you and how much you would care about your wife's body, who your wife is, is Christ and what he was willing to do for his body, for the church. And he died for it. He gave himself for it. This is the call. This is the call on husbands. This is leadership. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I know that we are in a culture that is pushing away or pushing against this idea of husbands leading and wives submitting to their leadership. But what I would suggest is the reaction isn't really to two people living this out. It's to problems that people have tried to um, mask as living this out. But as Pastor Matt Chandler says, a husband sacrificially loving his wife and a wife gladly submitted to her godly husband creates a relationship that the world would never look at and say, how disgusting and archaic. When two people are really saying out of reverence for Christ, we're going to submit to one another 
and we're going to do what God has called us to do, that is something that changes the trajectory of children who are exposed to its lives. That is something that changes neighborhoods, that changes churches, and impacts our world. And men, God has said, your call is to see that this is happening. This is the call on your life. And so with that in mind, I wanna give four important words for husbands, four important words for husbands. The first is sanctification. That's the biggest word, so don't worry. Sanctification. I wanna read that summarizing end statement by Paul one more time in Ephesians chapter five, verse 32 and 33. He says this. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Paul refers to a mystery, and he says that this mystery is profound and that it refers to Christ and the church. If you've been with us through our time in Ephesians, you might remember that we actually titled one section of sermons in Ephesians, The Mystery. And so Paul talks about this idea of a mystery throughout Ephesians, but he explains it. In chapter three, this is one page back in my Bible, in chapter three, verses four through six, he says this. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery is that God would save the Gentiles who do not have the law, who do not keep the law. How can God save the Gentiles who do not have the law and keep the law? By giving himself. That's the mystery. And the goal for a married man is to be a picture of that, of Christ giving himself up for the church's sanctification, even when they don't deserve it. A husband must continually ask himself, is my marriage pointing to the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. And the result of that is her sanctification. The goal of a Christian husband is not happy wife, happy life. It is godly wife, godly life. Now, before you start throwing things at me, because I think I heard a lady's voice boo me just now. Submitted to God, it wasn't my wife. Submitted to God, this isn't the worst advice. If, if we are serving our wife like Christ served the church, and that means in 90% of places where we disagree, we're gonna end up doing what she wants because most decisions are not spiritual leadership decisions. They're preferences, and mine should always be second to hers. But I do think that many men think if they keep their wife off of their back about her needs and wants, they're good. But marriage belongs to God, he is who we are serving. Ephesians 5.21, we are submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so 
marriage is in view of his authority. And we then need to understand that we err in our own view of happiness, in our own view of what marriage should be. And the real objective here is that I and my wife are becoming more like Christ. It is that our marriage would lead to my and her sanctification. Now, I want to share five things about sanctification. These come from Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Five quick thoughts. Number one, it is God's gracious work. Sanctification is not a path to earn God's love. It is the work that God is doing in those who love him. It is not what we must do to prove ourselves to God. It is because of God's love. Number two, it is supernatural. Sanctification is not natural. It is not something that we can figure out and we can do on our own. It is something that the Holy Spirit does in us when we have yielded to him and we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is God's work in us. Number three, it is a process. It is not immediate perfection. Justification is legal and sanctification is transformational. Justification happens all at once. Sanctification happens over a lifetime. Marriage needs to understand that. That she's yours when you're married, but she isn't who God will fully create her to be probably ever on this earth. Number four, sanctification results in good works. It is not theoretical. It produces fruit. There is change. There is growth. And number five, it looks like Jesus. Jesus' work is the grounds for justification, which makes us right with God, and Jesus' life is the pattern for sanctification. And so, Righteousness, I say, is our position and our direction. We stand righteous before God because of the saving work of Christ, because we are his, but we are becoming more like Christ living in response to that. In the same way is marriage. We are married and we are each other's, but the truth is we grow into being each other's yielded to God. And so I think the question that we need to ask ourselves as husbands is, is our wife more like Christ because of us or in spite of us. And there is no question about the destination for our marriage and the destination for our leadership as husbands is sanctification of myself and her sanctification. The second word for husbands that's important is sacrifice. Sacrifice is leadership. And this is what is missing in our culture and I would say in our church. The IMB, the International Missions Board, reports that women applicants to go to hard places in the world outnumber male applicants seven to one. Praise God for those women. They are faithful and courageous. But men... They shouldn't be leading the way into going into hard places in our world with the gospel. 
I, I think conservative men have been very critical of a more passive generation of men. But can we admit that we have had an epidemic of men that are passive about what really matters for years? That even sitting in the pews and chairs of our churches, we have men who will work hard and make sure the paychecks are there, but their wife is setting the spiritual direction of their family. We have men who will make sure that everybody stays alive, but has no commitment to the saving of men and women for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we need is we need more men who say to God, like Isaiah, because of God's holiness and because of God's mercy, here am I, send me. You need somebody to go for you, God? It's me. Now, J.D. Greer says that marriages are the laboratory for missions. So this is kind of funny, but I don't mean it to be funny. But in the story of Isaiah, he says, God, I'll go for you. And God says, you're gonna preach and nobody's gonna listen. In our home sometimes, men, we say, here am I, send me, and nobody listens to what we say. And I thought it was funny. Come on, okay, so... Listen, this is the call of God on our life often. And we need to understand that God isn't saying, hey, I'm calling you, and here's the promise of how successful and fruitful it's gonna be in whatever it may be. He says, I'm calling you based on my holiness and mercy. And that should be enough for us. And so we might be thinking, man, this is hard. Well, as Tony Merida says, marriage is a call to die to yourself. And it may very well be the case that your marriage is constantly saying, I trust in you, Lord. Now I realize that what I'm talking about can be really hard. Former Tonight Show host Johnny Carson once said that married men live longer than single men, but married men are a lot more willing to die. <laughs> so I realize that uh, it could be very difficult. But the call is to die to ourself and for Christ and for his work in our wife and for our children and for others. And so this may involve sacrificing our schedule and it may involve sacrificing our budget and it may involve sacrificing what we want to say. And it may involve sacrificing some of our plans. And it may even involve sacrificing some of our good ambitions. But you are the spiritual leader. And spiritual headship is not freedom to do what you want to do. It is empowerment to do what you ought to do. Spiritual headship is not freedom to do what you want to do. It is empowerment to do what you ought to do. It's sacrifice. A few years back, I was in a Bible study with a bunch of guys who've been all over the world uh, for the protection of our country and freedom. And uh, some of them who've been hurt, some of them have lost people, some of them that will go tomorrow, wherever they're told to go. And we were talking about marriage and they were talking about the difficulties with their wives and yes, women, when we get together, sometimes we talk about that as men, sorry. And um, there was just a lot of complaining about what it means to be a married man. And finally, I was like, hey, you guys took an oath before a man 
that you would go wherever the man told you to go and put your life on the line and you would gladly do that tomorrow even if you don't fully agree with it. Yeah, of course, yeah. Well, you stood before a holy God and said, I vow to love her no matter what it takes. Why is he not enough to die to yourself? Why is he not enough to sacrifice for this? That's the call, men. Third word, bad transition. Third word, service. A Christ-like leader is a servant putting those who we lead's interest before ourselves. This is the life of a leader. Whether you're a pastor or an employer or a coach or whatever it may be. And this is the call of marriage. Marriage is a call to serve. I'm gonna give several thoughts related to this. A leader needs to understand my success depends on theirs. Men, God told us we needed a helper. And if you're a man and you don't think you need help, then just ask anybody else what they think about you. So we need a helper. God saw fit that we needed a helper. And we have to realize that our thriving majorly depends on our helpers thriving. So start there. And then I, I would also just say, like, and, and let me just say this to women real quick. Like when there's an impasse about something and it's not clear in the Bible that he's wrong, like I think God can really use you having a submissive spirit and saying, okay, and ultimately you trust in God in that moment. Um, and, and, and I would just say then, I, I really recognize that some men, like that's never your wife. Like she never does that. And, you know, I, I do want you to avoid being a passive husband. But, and, and you do need to feel the responsibility of the direction of your family. So like, um, a few years ago, one of my children asked me, they said, hey, you're the senior pastor of our church, so does that mean you're in charge of everyone? And I was like, no, actually not at all. But it does mean I'm responsible for everyone. And what I mean by that is like, I do feel the responsibility of everything that happens that happens here, even if I'm not even directly involved in that. And I would just say, in our home, men, like, it's our responsibility. We need to feel the responsibility of everything. And we need to take initiative about the direction of our life. But, but I do recognize that in that, there are some that, you know, and, and I've been asked this many times, like, well, what if she just walks all over me? And, you know, some of your wives, they're mean. I'm not thinking of anyone, I'm not thinking of anyone specifically here, but that is a reality. And in some of your cases, like, she's neglecting your needs, whether that be sexual or physical or the house or just caring for you. And in some situations, she's really not a wife. Like, it's, it's all about her. And, and, you know, normally when people come to me and say that, like, I want to investigate, but I realize, like, in our culture, our culture is moving more and more towards, like, woman, you don't owe him anything. This is not what Christ says to you. But I, but I, would, I would say this to the men in this room. This morning, uh, one of our deacons and I, before we prayed together, he was talking about, you know, what's going on in Israel he was talking about this mass shooting that happened this week. He was talking about the progressive movement and some, some interesting things happening. And as he was talking about this, I was just thinking about this sermon and I was thinking about how God looked at this world and loves it and sends his son to die for it. Jesus loves you when you are unlovable. And that's the call. 
That's the call of the husband. I've had a few times where I've met with somebody and I'm like, hey, what, what is the call? And they know Ephesians 5, right? Like, love your wives like Christ loves the church. It's like, well, what did he do for the church? Philippians 2, he stepped down from the position of godliness to give himself, to die for the church. Like, that's the call for a husband to serve in that way. Hosea's example. God has to marry a woman named Gomer who's unfaithful. And he says, I want you to love her and illustrate my love for Israel and their unfaithfulness. Now, I realize that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we have to remember Christ is who we are serving. And the call of Christ is the condition for our service, not our spouse. 12 years ago, a friend of mine called me. They had started coming to our church. God radically changed their life. And it brought about his wife confessing to him that she had been unfaithful to him multiple times in their marriage. And he called me. And I can remember I was walking from our, our bedroom to our bathroom on the phone with him. And I can remember him saying, processing this. And he said, James, I have to love her. I have to love her. That is what Christ has called me to do. We have to love her because of Christ. That's what Christ has called us to do. We have to serve because that's what Christ has called us to do. C.S. Lewis says this, men, in the marriage relationship, you wear a crown, but the crown you wear first and foremost is one of thorns. Men, in the marriage relationship, you wear a crown, but the crown you wear is first and foremost one of thorns. Okay, last word, study, study. So you might be thinking, okay, I'm called to her sanctification, and I'm called to serve her, and I'm called to sacrifice, and I just don't understand her. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that image of like buttons, one explains a man and one explains a woman, trying to how to figure them out. I think we have the image of that that we're gonna put on the screen. This is true. I've been married 17 years, 17 years, right? Right, 18, something like that. <laughs> I don't understand her. I don't know that I understand her more than I did then. She says I don't care, and that either means she doesn't care or she really, really cares a lot, and I've got to ask questions until I figure it is what she cares about. She says I'm fine, and that either means she's fine or she is not fine, <laughs> and we need to stop everything. She says, I don't care where we eat, you pick the restaurant, and that really means keep naming restaurants so that I can say, no, that's a dumb idea too, until you finally say one that I wanna go eat at, and if I don't like it, it's still your fault. <laughs> it can be so frustrating. But then we like a challenge. I mean, think about it. If any come, woman comes up to you when you're dating, you know, and says, I don't need you, I'm fine, everything's together. We're actually not really that interested in her because we, we like a little bit of work. We like, you know, a project. Like, not a, not a total fixer-upper, but like, <laughs> we like a project. And so if you're younger than me, you're about to get married, maybe you're thinking about marriage one day, I, ju I just wanna say this to you because disappointment stems from expectation. And if you expect to ever be at a place 
in your life where you have figured her out, a man who's been married 65 years came up to me after the sermon yesterday, this morning and said, amen, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Prepare for that to be the rest of your life. And what's amazing is she starts changing too. So then it just flips. But all that being said, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And the implication of that language there is to study her. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says, if you are trying to pursue God and a part of your pursuit of God is not trying to live with her in this understanding way as a fellow heir, then your prayers are hindered because you're not sincere in your desire for God to work in your life. You see, women respond to show someone who shows them their value. And so stop trying to show her what you deserve and show her what Christ wants her to see. The purpose of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church. And husbands, we have to take responsibility for this. And so this morning, maybe the invitation for you is to admit that's not been who you were who you are and confess to God first and foremost and confess to your wife and maybe your children for the ways that you have fallen short and you're going to continue to fall short but to say I want to take responsibility for this ask God say God help me to love her the way you love me maybe as you want to take steps forward you don't know what to do you need people speaking into your life you need people who've been there, done that, have some scars. If you don't have someone who's ahead of you in life mentoring you in this, I'll connect you with somebody. So you reach out. If you do, reach out to them. And then fill your head with this. Not what you see on TV or what you read about, but fill your head with this. And then I would, I would just say this lastly. Maybe the reason there is a breakdown for you in understanding this call is because you don't know the love of Christ. That he demonstrated his love towards you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And you need to understand his grace and his mercy for you and trust him with your life. And that will fuel a life of showing others sacrificing to others, and serving others. Let's pray together. God, I, I just ask for your help this morning as we respond to you. God, God, help the men in this room to view everyone, but specifically their wives' sanctification as the goal of their relationship. Out of reverence for you. Help us to sacrifice and be servants and to study and to lean on you. God, I pray for those who are in difficult situations, whether it be the men in this room or the women in this room, 
where it's not two people who are allowing an eternal relationship to guide their earthly relationship. And I just pray you give them your courage and your strength and your wisdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would save those who don't know you and trust in you. And God, ultimately, I pray that what we walk away from here more than anything with this morning, whether this applies to our season of life or not, is the incredible love that Christ has demonstrated for us and that that would cause us to live a life that points others to that love. In Jesus' name, amen.